Section 18 of The Life of Mozart, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart, Volume 1 by Otto Jan. Translated by Pauline D. Townsend and others. Chapter 7 Opera Seria Part 1 The opera owes its rise to the attempt which was made in Florence at the beginning of the 16th century to discover the musical method of ancient tragedy and to reproduce it in conformity to the spirit of the Renaissance. In opposition to the predominant madrigal style of part singing, worked out in counterpoint, there arose strivings after a method which should give freedom and independence to the solo singer and which should render the poet's words comprehensible and sympathetic to the hearer the conviction that this was accomplished to perfection in ancient tragedy led to a search after lost musical traditions traces of which are observable in the opera seria even in its latest development first recitative was introduced as a middle course between song and ordinary speech distinguished by ascent and rhythm and sustained by a simple harmony which emphasized the dialogue time and effort were needed to establish this compromise between song and speech and to convert recitative into pliable expressive instrument of musical dialogue the first attempt to place an opera in the stilio representativo on the stage was made by jack perry with otafio rinuccini's daphne performed in 1594 at the palazzo corsi the same poets erudis followed in 1600 publicly performed on the occasion of the marriage of henry fourth with mary de medicis the whole dialogue is rendered in a simply accompanied recitative without the introduction of anything resembling an air to this are added choruses after the example of the old tragedies not worked in contrapuntal from like madrigals as was already the custom with the intermedi of spoken tragedies but in simple harmonies and in a key corresponding to the recitatives a similar experiment was made in rome in sixteen hundred by emilio du cavalieri with his oratorio del anima e del carpo and in florence the same year by giulio cascini with another Eurydice which displayed the art of the singers by its numerous embellishments and passages musical language however could only attain its full effect when the more elevated sentiments received their due expression in an air independent in character and perfect in form the development of solo singing released from its contrapuntal bondage and made expressive by melody was largely due to cascini the merit of connecting the air with the recitative in opera for which a precedent was found in the monody of ancient tragedy belongs to claudio montverde who also made use of the whole available instrumental wealth of the time his operas of orfeo composed in mantua 1607 and ariana 1608 were followed in venice where he was appointed kapellmeister 1613 by prosperina rapitia 1630 adon 
1639, and so on. Here, then, were the elements of Oppressoria. To follow its continuous development step by step would require such a searching study of details as has not yet been undertaken. The majority of existing accounts are made apparently at random and without any idea of connection or dependence. The sketch of the leading points in the progress of this development will suffice for our purpose. Ancient tragedy being taken as a model, it followed that the stories of ancient mythology or history, they were always considered on the same level, were almost exclusively chosen, although treated for the most part in a widely different spirit. Oprah soon formed an important feature in court festivals, and it became customary to give the text a reference to the festival or person, honoured by turning it into an allegory in which poetical fancy vied with personal flattery in imitation of ancient tragedy mimic dances were connected with the singing but the union of the arts tended more to sensual enjoyment than to poetical effect the naive freedom with which the ancient myths were handled gave ample license for gaudy costumes scenery and decorations and the same taste was carried into the fantastic outcome of these festival representations known as the German magic opera. The courts of Italy and France vied with each other in the costly splendour ravished on the opera by the scenic painters, decorators and costumiers, and Vienna, Munich, Dresden and Stuttgart were not slow to follow their example. The elegantly printed books of the words, adorned with careful copper plate engravings, which were distributed for these performances, give some idea of the style in which they were put on the stage and of the dazzle and glitter in the midst of which the music became a very secondary consideration such operas as we have described could on the account of expense only be given to royal courts on special occasions but the general public soon began to demand a share in the entertainment and a regular repetition of it it became the established custom to make the opera the main festivity of the carnival and although generous patrons were not wanting prepared to support the managers impresari yet the latter who naturally wished to make profit by the opera generally found it necessary to reduce the cost of the representations the libretti which sought to excite interest by showy scenery and a mixture of pathetic and burlesque situations without the least regard to consistency or psychological accuracy were far from satisfactory to any cultivated taste but the cultivation of the art of the song exercised the highest of all influences in operatic music it had reached a height from which it was able to govern the musical public and to render the pleasure of the eye subservient to that of the ear in proportion as the vocal art asserted its superiority it exacted a simplification of all other means of attraction and the universal striving after regularity which materially assisted by the necessity of clear and decided forms in vocal music this transformation of opera which took its final form from poet and composer under the quickening influence of great singers is commonly ascribed to alessandro scarlatti sixteen fifty nine to seventeen twenty five he was the disciple, although perhaps not the pupil, of the Roman Kapellmeister, 
Giacomo Carcimi, who was nearly ninety in 1672, who did such good service to the development of recitative and dramatic solo singing that he may be considered the founder of modern song. Scarlatti, excellent alike from his thorough musical knowledge and from the wealth and grace of his invention, displayed astonishing fertility in the different departments of musical art. In the year 1715, according to his own account, he had composed 106 operas. At Naples, where he passed the great part of his life, he founded the school from which, more especially under his successor, Francesco Durante, 1693-1755, a long list of composers issued, who for the most part wrote admirable church music, and whose chief mission is to maintain throughout the last century an uninterrupted succession of operatic music. If we glance down the long list of more famous, Nick Propora, 1685 or 1687 to 1767, Dom Sari, 1688 to 1732, Leon Vinci, 1690 to 1734, Frank Fio, 1694 to 1740, Leon Leo, 1699 to 1783, Terra de Glias, 17 to 1711 to 1778, Nick Jomeli, 1714 to 1774, Rinaldo da Capua, born 1725-1800, We shall be astonished to find that of the numerous members of the Neapolitan school, only four were born out of the kingdom of Naples namely Hase, Teradeglias, Peragolis, and Giugliemi. The rest of Italy was quite unable to compete with this wealth. Venice, however, took an important place in the development of Italian opera, both by the splendor of the performance given in the theatre, which was erected in 1637, and by the excellent institutions for musical education. The fame of the Venetian school was upheld by many celebrated composers, among them Carlo Pallavicini, 16-1688, August Stefani, 1655-1730, Frank Gasparini, 1665-1737, and Loti, 
1673 Buranello, 1703-1785, Fred Bertoni, 1725-1813. Bologna too had its share in the history of the opera. Maintaining a firm tradition of careful performances and excellent schools for singing and composition, Gio Bonaccini, 1672-1752, and Gio Sarti, 1729-1802, were trained here. Rome was looked down upon as a city where the keenest enthusiasm, either of applause or adverse criticism, was to be expected, consequently where artistic reputation were most often made or destroyed. But Rome was neither the birthplace nor the seminary of any famous operatic masters. It is not necessary here to inquire into the details of the part taken by Scarlatti in the erection of the Italian opera as it now exists. His operas are truly epitomes of the history of musical development, and his many imitators and successors pass before us like shadows of the Homeric shades. But we have only to do with him, or with them, in so far as concerns the main features of that form of operatic composition which Mozart found ready at hand. The stability with which operatic development kept close to the path which had at first been marked out was due partly to circumstances and the influence of public opinion, partly to the character of the Italian people, beauty appealing immediately and directly to their lightly kindled imaginations, required that its sensual charm should be clearly and unreservedly expressed, and for this they were willing to sacrifice novelty and characterization. Again, the art of music was developed in accordance with natural laws, and having once acquired forms indicative of its essential elements, it grasped these firmly and refused to abandon them until they had become completely obsolete. It was the task of great masters of the 18th century to maintain this course of steady imperceptible progress, and by raising to successive stages each hardly one step towards perfection to establish in the end a new and more admirable whole. The chief component parts of the opera were recitative and the song, or aria, recitative, intended for rendering of conversation, approaches in rhythm and intervals, as near as possible to ordinary speech, and leaves the singer ample scope for an animated and expressive delivery. This is assisted by a simple harmonious accompaniment, the basses giving the fundamental, the clavier, the harmony. The simplicity of the musical treatment lends itself to characteristic declamation, and impressive situations are thrown into relief, generally by sudden changes of harmony. Numerous instances show the importance that was attached to this mode of delivery, but very soon it became the fashion to treat this recitativo shako as subordinate, and the composer strove to do away with it as far as possible. Certain turns, certain harmonic progressions, and interrupted cadences were as indispensable to recitative as many turns of speech are to social intercourse, as the course and development of the action of the piece depend almost entirely on the recitative, 
it follows that any neglect of the latter must affect one of the most important elements of the opera the need for attaining the power of expressing a momentary passion or inspiration which would not admit an elaborate representation led to the introduction of the so-called accompanied obligate recitative for this orchestra at first only the whole body of the stringed instruments was made use of and accompanied the alternations of emotions with corresponding musical phrases or interludes recitative without abandoning its distinctive characteristics became more strongly accentuated and in progress of time passed over into song such vocal melodies are seemed thus to be called forth by the emotions of the situations were called savata or savatina at first they were considered as an ingredient or embellishment of the recitative but later on they were treated independently arioso in the recitative indicates an interpolated passage of vocal melody a rapid alternation of varied or contending emotions in monologue or dialogue called for accompanied recitative which generally passed into a song where a definite emotion might find its due expression it was here that the singers and composers sought to accomplish the highest degree of dramatic expression and although in the aria they might be tempted to undue regard of musical display to the neglect of dramatic effect here at least they strove for a faithful portrayal of human sentiment the aria was almost exclusive from given to regular artistic song choruses which formerly concluded every act were afterwards only exceptionally employed generally when the occasion being a court festivity required additional outward show they were seldom formed an integral part of the performance ballets which were originally combined with the choruses became by degrees quite distinct and were given between the acts of the opera concerted vocal pieces were confined within limits more and more strictly defined until the rule came to be that in every opera there should be a duet for the prima donna and the prima uomo and a terzet in which the prima tenor also took part even the places for these at the end of the second or third acts were appointed further restrictions were imposed on the character of these concerted pieces by the necessity of giving all possible effect to the voices they do not pretend to represent a conflict of struggling passions pressing onward to the catastrophe rather does some definite mood the natural result of the situations which have preceded it find its fitting expression in the regular concerted form which affords ample scope for the display of variety in quality and style of the individual voices the aria which gave expression to fixed lyrical mood was seldom the culminating point of a dramatic situation its connection with the action of the voice was for the most part only sufficient to give it a certain local color it was the task of both the composer and singer to make the aria fit into the drama but the claims of the vocalist were paramount in its composition as the canons of the operatic construction became more and more strictly defined distinctions arose between different kinds of arie which having its own character and form the aria cantabile was for sentimental declamation di portamento 
for long drawn out tones di mezzo cartere for dramatic expression aria parlante or agitata for the expression of passion aria di bravura agilita for the display of artistic skill of every kind the poet and composer had only to be careful to suit the arie to the performers and so to distribute them through the opera that their variety should place the performances of each character in their most favourable light but a certain fixed form served as a groundwork to all arie and kept them within well-defined bounds it is easy to trace the simple expressive phrase as it is extended and rounded into a well-formed melody and then to follow the different subjects so obtained until by progressions and interludes they were welded into a whole but this led to a petrifying formalism and to a tedious lengthening of the aria which sacrificed the character to vocal display an aria regularly consists of two parts differing in key time and measure an allegro in a common time usually begins introduced by a slower passage in triple time but as but as to this there is no fixed rule and free scope as to details is given to the composer the first movement is broadly conceived always with a view to skill of the performer he repeats one or more of the principal melodies in different positions but without thematic elaboration and inserts runs and passages in the second part the composer granting some repose to the singer made a display of his own art by selected harmonies elaborate accompaniments and so forth it was essential to the singer's reputation as an artist that he should be able to vary the modulation and embellishment of the melody each time it recurred the composer supplying a mere outline and leaving the execution of the cadenzas entirely to the discretion of the performer this task became more difficult as the custom grew of repeating the whole of the first part at the close of the second thus turning the latter into a middle movement for no singer would be deterred for enhancing the interesting of each repetition by a fresh mode of delivery so that the public performers of that day displayed their taste and cultivation not only as at present by execution and declamation they worked of necessity side by side with the composer whose special glory is to inspire his singers with the spark of his own creative genius the influence thus exerted by the executive artist could not fail to determine to a great extent the path of development in operatic composition the great names of more celebrated singers are to us indeed but names but contemporary notices give us no clear idea of their performances and the music written for them deprived of the direct charm of their personal impressions affords a most imperfect standard of judgment from the middle of the last century the tendency to sacrifice all consideration to execution bravura became more and more marked until at last dramatic propriety and soul inspiring calm of beautiful song were alike buried beneath the weight of ornamentation and exaggerated flourishes serving only to display pretensions of the vocalist and dexterity of the composer in this way the dramatic element of the opera became more and more neglected until at last it was regarded as superfluous and disturbing adjunct to the vocalization 
End of section 18 Read by Lambda